Let's uh, turn, first of all, to the Belgic Confession, Article 27. That's found on page 183 in the Book of Forms and Prayers, and uh, 865 in the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. And I want you to take notice of the work of the Holy Spirit in connection with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Article 27. The Holy Catholic, that is not only universal in terms of places, but also universal in terms of time, so the church of all ages and all places, we believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers, awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal King who cannot be without subjects. And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time it may appear very small in the eyes of men as though it were snuffed out. For example, during the very dangerous time of Ahab, the Lord preserved for himself 7,000 men who did not bend their knees to Baal. And so, this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit, by the power of faith. And then if you'll turn to the Word of God to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you'll find on page 1,157. 1,157. I want to read the first four verses of that chapter, which speaks about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Thus far, God's Word this evening. In less than two weeks, King Charles will be crowned in an elaborate ceremony at Westminster Abbey in London. He has, of course, been the king for some time. He acceded to the throne, as they say, on September 8, when his late mother, Queen Elizabeth II, died. But it will be an elaborate ceremony. I haven't read much about what is going to take place on that day. I do know that when Queen Elizabeth uh, was crowned in 1953, that children throughout the United Kingdom received gifts. 
For instance, the children in Glasgow received a mug with a picture of the prince and the queen on it, filled with candy, a a mugshot, if you will, though other children, it appears, seem to receive something different. All the children in Canada in 1953 received a medallion commemorating the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. And it makes sense that on such a momentous occasion, uh, on a day of such celebration, it makes sense that gifts are scattered abroad. It seems to be that the kings and queens of the United Kingdom, they've taken a page out of our Lord Jesus' book. Because when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, which was his public coronation, he was already given all authority in heaven and on earth at his resurrection from the dead. But when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then he in turn shared those gifts with his subjects. He poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. The Holy Spirit is the coronation gift of the ascended Christ. And I thought that as we begin this series, last week Chiba began it, but as we begin this series on the Holy Spirit entitled, When He Comes, that it would be fruitful for us because the day of Pentecost has to do so much with the Holy Spirit, it would be fruitful for us to think through the meaning of the day of Pentecost. What is Pentecost all about? It is, of course, a day of significance, a day of such significance along with the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And all of the events in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ are multifaceted. They're they're like different strands coming together in this tapestry that leaves you in awe and wonder. And similarly, the event of Pentecost, there's so much that you can think about. The Scripture is so full as to its meaning and significance for the life of the church. And so this Lord's Day, and perhaps next Lord's Day, and maybe even the Lord's Day after that, we want to look at Pentecost and see what it is. And this day, I want to see that Pentecost is the beginning of the Pentecostal church. The first thing to note about Pentecost is that it is a once-for-all event in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. I said earlier that Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit, and it's true. It's obviously true. But it is an event about the Holy Spirit only as the Holy Spirit is the gift of Christ. So it's really about Christ primarily. And as Christ's death is a once-for-all death, as his resurrection is a once-for-all event, as his ascension to the right hand is a once-for-all occurrence, so is Pentecost a once-for-all event in the life of the church. It is, of course, a, an event that has significance, that, that spans the ages. But it is not something that we should expect to be repeated any more than we would expect Christ to die again or to rise again from the dead. It is a once-for-all event. The great Dutch theologian Abram Kuyper used an illustration to help us understand this. 
He says, imagine there was this city where everyone had cisterns in their backyard. And anytime they wanted something to drink or needed water for something, they would go outside and with a pan or a pail, pull water out of the cistern. And then one day, the leaders of the city said, enough of that. Instead, what we're going to do is build this reservoir and fill it with water. Then through mains and pipes, water will come to every household. There wouldn't have, they won't have to mess around with individual cisterns anymore. That, Abram Kuyper says, is what happened on the day of Pentecost, that God uh, the Son, the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, filled this reservoir with the Holy Spirit, and through the ages from the reservoir of grace that is found in this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, blessings come to every Christian personally. But it comes to every Christian through Jesus Christ filling the reservoir of the Spirit. And so blessings abound. And as you know, every blessing that we receive from the Father whether that is justification or adoption or sanctification, whatever blessing we receive from God is always, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, a spiritual blessing. That is a blessing that comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ordained by God, purchased by Jesus Christ by His death and resurrection, but distributed by the Spirit of the living God. And because Pentecost has come, the grace of God flows even more now than it ever did because the reservoir is full of the Spirit of God. So that's the first thing to think about, that the the day of Pentecost is a once-for-all event in which Christ poured out His Spirit without without being narrow or stingy, poured out His Spirit in abundance. The second thing I want you to notice is that the day of Pentecost is the inauguration or the beginning, the establishment of the New Testament church. And I want to show you that in a couple of ways. The first, time, the first thing I want to do is, is point you back to what it says in Acts 1 verse 15. You'll remember that uh, before our Lord Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, He met with His disciples, and He told them to meet in Jerusalem and to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And so that's exactly what they did. They met in Jerusalem, and they prayed for the Spirit to come upon the church with power. But notice what it says in Acts 1 verse 15, "...in those days Peter stood up among the brothers." The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. Now the question to ask is, why does he specify that there were 120 there? We know that there were more believers at this time. Uh, The Lord Jesus met with 500 all at once as an evidence and token of his rising from the dead on the third day. So why 120? Well, it's because in that time, if there was a a Jewish uh, synagogue that wanted to establish its own group with its own council and its own government, the requirement was that there would be a hundred and have to be a hundred and twenty men present to do so. So that's a hint that that this is something new that's happening, something that is going to be separated from the from the Jewish synagogue system. 
that there's a new community being established. And we'll see it's a community of the Spirit of God. You see this further on, that is, this inauguration reality of the New Testament church at the beginning of Acts 2. We read there, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. There is the sound of the wind. And if you know the Old Testament at all, and if you know the New Testament as well, you know that the wind is a symbol of the presence of God, God being present by His Holy Spirit. You might know that the Hebrew word for wind and the Hebrew word for spirit is the same. It's ruach. And that the Greek word for wind and the Greek word for spirit is the same. It's pneuma. So that here with the sound of the wind... It's evident that this is a gathering where God is present by the Holy Spirit. And what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, we know from uh, the Old Testament Scriptures, and Chiba referred to this last Lord's Day, you know from Genesis 1 verse 2, that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit is the Creator Spirit. He's working there at creation, hovering over the waters, bringing light out of darkness, out of formlessness He brings form. He fills the emptiness that is there. That's why I had you uh, sing from Psalm 104, uh, A, the ninth stanza, because this is the work of the Spirit of God. He is the Creator Spirit. You can hear this from Psalm 104, Uh, Verse 30, when you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. And so the church of Jesus Christ at Pentecost is a spirit-created body of believers. You can see another Old Testament reference in Genesis 2, verse 7. Remember that spirit and wind and spirit and breath are the same. We read there in Genesis 2, verse 7, that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So here's this this body that has been formed by God out of the dust of the ground, but it's lifeless. And then God breathes into this body's nostrils, and the body becomes a living creature creature. And that's what's happening at Pentecost. Here's this body of believers, and they're given life and vitality as God, by His Spirit, breathes into that community of believers to make them living beings committed to live for His honor and praise. And then the last Old Testament reference that I want to point you to is the one in Ezekiel 37 where the prophet Ezekiel was brought to a valley that was full of bones. And then he's asked, Son of man, can these bones live? And you know his answer, O Lord God, he says, you know. And then Ezekiel's taught to prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And uh, that's exactly what he did. And the bones all came together. He says there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. 
And so again, here's the body. And then there was sinew, and then there was flesh on them, but there was no breath in them. And then Ezekiel is told by God to prophesy to the breath, or to prophesy to the wind, or to prophesy to the Spirit. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. So Ezekiel prophesied, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So this is the work of the Spirit, to create, to revive, to refresh, to bring to life. And that's what he's doing here at the day, on the day of Pentecost, that this gathering of God's people, they are the beginning of the New Testament church. Just as our Lord Jesus did not begin his ministry until he was uh, anointed with the Spirit at his baptism, so the New Testament church did not begin their ministry until they were anointed by the Spirit of Christ on the day of Pentecost. This is a new day in the plan of God. This is the beginning of the New Testament, the New Covenant Church of Jesus Christ. And then there's another instance here in the text that points us to the new beginnings of the church. And that is that the day of Pentecost has its significance in the first place, not from the pouring out of the Spirit. It has a long history. The day of Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. And in the Feast of Weeks, the Israelites were required to bring the first fruits of the harvest up to Jerusalem and to offer them to the Lord their God. And what God was saying to them by requiring this offering is that this is not the end of your harvest. This is the beginning of the harvest. It is, after all, first fruits. And there's an expectation that there will be more. And similarly with the church. It's just a small company of believers in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But it's like the Feast of Weeks. It's the first fruits of the worldwide church of God. And from that small band in Jerusalem, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would go throughout uh, Jerusalem and then Judea and uh, Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And uh, the church is going to be a missionary church that is going to gather this harvest of souls by the power of the Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ and for their own salvation. But it had its beginnings here in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is the inauguration, the commencement of the New Testament, the New Covenant Church of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another thing I want to point out about the day of Pentecost to the New Testament church. It's not only that the church is formed by the outpoured spirit, but the church is also conformed by the outpoured spirit. It was common around this time when the day of Pentecost first occurred, it was common to link Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks with the giving of the law 
on Mount Sinai by Moses. So there would be a commemoration of that great event uh, recorded for us in Exodus 19 and 20 where Israel is brought out of Egypt by God's mighty hand and gathered in this great assembly, the the church uh, around Mount Sinai, and Moses receives the law and brings uh, down the Ten Commandments to God's people. There were, of course, links between uh, what's happening here on the day of Pentecost. On, on the day of Pentecost, there was the sound like a mighty rushing wind, there was fire, and there was a divine voice, the very thing that happened on the, on the day of Mount Sinai as well. The writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 that the Israelites have not come to Mount Zion, or the Israelites came to Mount Zion uh, to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the, made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That is to say, there is definitely connection between the day of Pentecost, the wind, the fire, and the divine voice, and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, where there was wind, uh, fire, and a voice. And so these were linked in people's minds. And it is very interesting to make that connection, because in the Old Testament, at Mount Sinai, Moses ascended the hill of God. He met with God And God gave him ten commandments written on tablets of stone. And then when Moses went up, the law of God came down. And you know what the effect of the law was upon the Israelites. It was a law of condemnation. It told them what they must do. It pointed out to them how they failed to do what they must do. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's this longing that that something more than just the law be given to us. The law doesn't help us obey. The law convicts us. The law shows us our errors. The law even causes sin to rise within us. If only there were something more than the law that would help us walk in God's commandments and keep His laws and run in the way of His precepts. If only there were something more to come. And so you read the Old Testament Scriptures, and the promise that one day something new would come. There would be a new covenant that God would make with His people. Of course, not a covenant that is completely divorced from the old covenant, but it would be a covenant renewed, refreshed. It would be given new life and vitality. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. There the Lord says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, that's what was needed. In the old covenant, the laws were written on tablets of stone. By and large, of course, there were some of God's people who were endowed with the Spirit, like For instance, King David, who could speak so highly of the law, or the psalmist of Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. In that person, the Spirit had written the law on his heart. But but now, uh, the, the Lord says through Jeremiah, this is going to be this new covenant where we're all of God's people are going to have the law written on their hearts, and they will know the Lord, and they will walk in his ways. They will keep His commandments. 
He will forgive their iniquity. He will remember it no more. That's from Jeremiah 31. And then listen to what it says in Ezekiel 36. There too, the Lord speaks about this new covenant. And and notice what is so unique about this new covenant. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God's saying a day is coming that's going to be characterized by the giving of the Spirit. And the law of God, which Moses brought down from Mount Sinai for the people's obedience, is not just going to be externally written on tablets of stone, but it's going to be written on human hearts. And God's going to cause His people, enable them to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, to do His statutes, to obey His rules. That was the great longing and expectation. If only God would come and take this heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. If only He would write God's law on our hearts so that we would delight in His precepts and run in the way of His commandments. If only He would do that. And the New Testament answer is that He did do that. When? He did that on the day of Pentecost. So that as Moses went up, the law came down. And when Christ goes up, ascends to the right hand of the Father, it's not the law that comes down, but it is the Spirit who comes down. And the Spirit writes the law of God on our hearts. The Spirit enables us to obey. The Spirit gives us life and vitality and new desires and new longings and new abilities so that the New Testament people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, are able to say no to sin and yes to obedience and to run in the way of God's commandments in a way that the New Testament church could only long for. This is the New Testament experience. The New Covenant church is the church of the Holy Spirit. So listen to what the Apostle Paul can say about New Testament ministry over against Old Testament ministry, apostolic ministry over against Mosaic ministry. He says there in 2 Corinthians 3, he says that that we are ministers of the new covenant. He says that, and you, Christians, are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Do you see how he's making the contrast between Old Covenant, Moses, New Covenant, Spirit? And then he goes on to say that this New Covenant is not of the letter, but it's of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Old Testament church had glory, but the ministry of the Spirit in the New Testament church has even more glory. So that we, brothers and sisters, we are so privileged, those the people of God, to live after the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and after His death and after His resurrection. Remember, I believe Chiba referred to this last Lord's Day. And Jesus said in John 7, 
that uh, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this Old Testament expectation and promise that one day the Spirit would come and when He came, He would do all of His renewing and revitalizing work, that couldn't happen until Jesus was glorified, until He died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. But now that Jesus has been glorified, He has poured out His Spirit on the church, and we are the recipients of the Spirit. So that Paul can say, 1 Corinthians 12, I think, that we are all baptized by one Spirit into the body. And what that means for all of us who are Christian believers and who share in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it means that we have power within us to walk in God's commandments, to obey His law, to delight in His precepts in a way that the Old Testament saints could only dream of because now Christ has been poured out, or the Christ has poured out His Holy Spirit. Remember the Abram Kuyper illustration. Yes, the Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. Of course He was, or, or no one would ever be able to come to faith. But it was piecemeal, I might say. Everyone had their own cistern, or some had bigger cisterns than others. But in the New Testament era, because of Pentecost, there's this reservoir of the Spirit. And all who are believers share in the gift of the Spirit to enable them to walk in the ways of the Lord. So that's the day of Pentecost. And the church in the New Testament, whether it's Reformed or Presbyterian or Baptist, the church in the New Testament is really a Pentecostal church. The Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Pentecost poured out by Christ is what has formed this church in the beginning. And the Spirit of God is present with this church to conform the church to what it should be. That's what it means to be a New Testament covenant community. It is to be indwelt with the Spirit of God so that we might offer the totality of our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Now, you know what that means for you as an individual who shares in the Holy Spirit. You want to live better than you do, and we can live by the Spirit better than we do. If we walk by the Spirit, as we read this morning from Galatians 5, if we walk by the Spirit, then we will not, um, not give in to the lusts of the flesh. But it also means that as a community of God's people, indwelt by the Spirit of God, we ought to love one another deeply fervently, speak well of one another, encourage each other, refresh each other, and help one another to spur one another on to love and good works by the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God give us grace to be what we ought to be as a Pentecostal church here in Lethbridge. Let us pray.
Our dear, gracious Father in heaven, we bless you that our Lord Jesus Christ has been glorified, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, received as a gift for the completion of his own labors, the Holy Spirit, and then shared that Spirit with his church. We thank you that we are what we are because of the Holy Spirit who has formed us and who conforms us to the image of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray, our God, that we would be filled with the Spirit here at Trinity, both individually and as a congregation, that we would not resist the Spirit as He seeks to do His work of changing us from one degree of glory to another, and that we would not quench the Spirit as you speak to us through the reading and preaching of your word and shapes us by that spirit-inspired word of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may we be a community of the Spirit and all for your glory and praise and for our blessing. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.